ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Hi, I'm Sam Hawley, coming to you from Gadigal Land. This is ABC News Daily. When you open your power bill right now, it can come as a real shock. And it's only going to get worse, with prices rising by up to a quarter again this month. But if you're lucky enough to have solar panels on your roof, you're having a much better time of it. The problem is there's a growing divide between those who have them and those who don't. Today, energy reporter Dan Mercer on the Australians being left behind by the energy transition and the deep discontent the gap is likely to fuel. Dan, many people around Australia have in the past few weeks been told by their retailers that their power bills will be going up and going up by a lot. It's not a nice time. No, not at all, Sam. For millions of people, really, those bills are going up, especially so in the eastern states. Mm -hmm. Prices are going up by at least 20%. And you know, in fact, much more than that in many cases. Your power bills are about to get even more expensive. Regulators have approved increases again. They'll vary depending on where you live and which electricity provider you're with. And in you know, those states across the eastern seaboard, the extent to which you're affected you know, really will depend on whether you've got solar panels on your roof mm. in a lot of cases or other green tech such as batteries or heat pumps. And that question of whether you're lucky enough to have this kit is in many ways at the heart of a growing energy divide in Australia. Right, and that's a divide because some people can afford to get solar panels and there's lots of other people who can't. In the main, yes, that's that's exactly it. Certainly, I think it's the simplest explanation Mm. for why some people have got solar and other people don't. You know, it typically costs a few thousand dollars to get solar panels installed. Uh, those prices have come down, but it's still of that sort of order. Mm. Now, that can be a very good investment that pays itself off through lower power bills in just a matter of years. And there are a lot of households in Australia which have solar, more than 3 million at last count. And that's, you know, a, almost a third of the households there are in this country. But of course, not everyone has a few thousand dollars lying around. And there are other reasons why some people can't get solar and green kit too. Yeah, of course. So just let's unpack that a bit more and explain why this divide exists in this country. Well, it really goes to what we were just talking about. It's often an income disparity. Saul Griffith, who's really the flag bearer for electrification and green tech, you know, the the bearded sort of fella, scientific genius and entrepreneur from New South Wales, he reckons this issue keeps him awake at night. Mm. And my concern right now is cost of living. Average Australian household last year, $5,000 a year would be the cost of all of their petrol and diesel, the cost of their electricity, the cost of their gas. That'll go up to about $7,000 this year, and that's extremely meaningful, especially with the other inflationary Mm. pressures. So it's definitely on the minds of the big thinkers involved in the transition. And it should be too, because this will become the ultimate story of the haves and have-nots unless it's handled well. Across Australia, power prices are going up sharply and people are just reacting to that. If you can afford it, installing solar panels and a battery 
And maybe even buying an EV makes economic sense. It just does. Uh, about 40% of people earning $90,000 or more have got solar, research recently showed. But, you know, for the less well-off, it's a it's very much a different story. Renters, for example, make up about a third of the Australian population. Mm. And they obviously don't own the properties they live in. So they're really at the mercy of their landlord when it comes to things like solar. I've kind of accepted that it's probably not going to be a thing, not going to be an option for me. One renter I spoke to from Sydney, Jaden Pan, told me recently he'd love to have solar. Mm. Uh, you know, he'd love to have it to lower his bills and reduce his emissions, but it's totally out of his control. I love solar. Solar would be fantastic. We could run the heater at night or during the day, actually, while the solar is actually running. Warm up the house and then at night we can, we can actually come home to a warm home, which is nice. During the day in the summer, we could run aircon, but we can't. So basically solar is just not really an option for you? No, no, it's not. Most people that are stuck in this constant rental cycle that m most people in my generation are, that's just a fact of reality. It's important to remember that energy prices are like a regressive tax. Mm. I think that's a really important point. Now, Energy Consumers Australia, which is the advocacy for consumers, small users, estimates people earning $150,000 or more a year spend 1.9% of their income on energy. Those in the lowest bracket, on the other hand, pay 12%. And that doesn't include the cost of fuel. When you consider most electric vehicle or EV uptake is by wealthier households, yeah, that divide's likely to be even greater and it's only going to increase. Mm, okay, but shouldn't the people that can afford it actually be rewarded, I guess, for doing the right thing by reducing demand on fossil fuels, you know, by using renewable energy? Yes, they should. Uh, and I reckon you'd struggle to find someone who disagrees with that. Mm -hmm. But this is really about how we're going to pay for the grid in a world where more and more people get solar and other green tech, but many others simply can't. Practically everybody is connected to the grid. Mm -hmm. And let's be honest, the grid is really a modern miracle. It's a huge machine that provides power around the clock at the flick of a switch. It's also vastly expensive. Mm -hmm. It costs a lot of money to build and it costs a lot of money to maintain. At the moment, most of the costs of the system are allocated to households based on the energy that they take from the grid, that they suck out of the grid. Mm -hmm. But of course, households with solar don't really draw much energy from the grid. Here's where the problem gets really messy because those households aren't necessarily costing the grid much less. They still need the system when the sun isn't shining and they still need the system to export the surplus power that their solar panels produce. But because they're no longer paying nearly so much for the upkeep of the grid, those costs often just get smeared across an ever-diminishing number of often poorer customers or customers unable to get solar. Yeah, and it's going to be a similar story with EVs potentially. You know, EVs will be wonderful for the electricity system in many ways and a lot of the people involved in planning and running the system are very much keen on them. Mm. You know, they have the potential to be basically a huge battery that can soak up excess renewable energy at some times and discharge that back into the grid at peak times. Either way, though, all this tech means that we're going to be using the grid more than ever before. So how we ensure that we can continue to pay for it equitably, and, you know, I stress equitably, 
is fundamentally important. Because mm, it sounds like if you don't have solar or an EV, you're propping up those people who do. So that sounds like something that needs fixing, Dan. Wouldn't it make sense that if we put more renewables into the grid, that would make it cheaper for everyone and then not everyone would have to put solar panels on their homes? Not really as simple as that, Sam. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not as simple as just putting in more renewable energy because you still have to put in all of the infrastructure that sits behind it. Mm -hmm. It's way harder than just building solar farms and wind farms. You know, those farms, those assets have got to be connected to the grid by transmission lines that cost billions of dollars to build. There's got to be utility scale batteries, huge pumped hydro projects like Snowy 2.0, and gas-fired power plants all sitting in there as backup. Uh, And all of this costs a truckload of money Mm -hmm. and it's going to take time. So, you know, the large-scale deployment of renewable energy is definitely a big part of the solution, but it's not going to be an overnight thing. Uh, In the meantime, we actually need to work out ways of providing more equitable access to green tech like solar where we can. Yeah, okay. And Dan, so how are we going to do that? I feel like you've got an answer for this. Well, for a start, none of this is obviously going to be easy, Sam. But in in the first instance, you'd have to think there's scope for governments to get involved in providing subsidies or low-interest loans that allow poorer customers to get their hands on this stuff. And we've already seen some, if not most, governments, including the Commonwealth, move in this direction in recent years. But there's nothing so far that's going to be a silver bullet in that regard. There's also, though, a big opportunity for governments to get directly involved by putting solar on social houses that they own and control. Almost one million people in Australia live in social housing. Mm -hmm. So that's a, a big number of households that can be helped right there. I think, though, that many poorer and disadvantaged people risk just missing out because they don't have the money or the wherewithal to make the switch. For this cohort, it might just be the case that the government will have to permanently increase the subsidies that it gives to these households mm. for the power, you know, for their power prices. Basically, it'll have to permanently subsidise their electricity tariffs. Because a lot of that cohort, Dan, they're renters, aren't they? They're lower income earners and they don't have control over what goes on their roof. So how do we address that? It's early days Mm -hmm. for a start, but there are suggestions already that landlords might be required to install solar on their tenants' properties where possible. Mm -hmm. Putting panels on roofs is actually the easy bit though. The hard part is what you do with tariffs to ensure costs are distributed more evenly and fairly. Okay. So how do we deal with the tariff issue. There's a lot of problems here, Dan. (laughs) You're solving a lot along the way though, but how do we make that fairer? I don't want to lie, Sam. This is a really, really hard issue to deal with. You know, the old system was based on people using electricity in a really passive way. But of course, that's no longer the case for millions of people who are now selling as well as buying electricity, uh, a trend that's only going to increase. Gavin Dufty from St. Vincent de Paul is keen on what's known as two-way pricing. So if you're using the network to export as well as import electricity, you pay for the privilege. We do need network tariff reform. Poles and wires in the street are a two-way electricity highway. We need pricing that prices both ways. So the people that are just consuming 
actually don't end up paying costs for people that are producing. So that's Dan, if we don't start to deal with this renewable divide that we have in this country now, what's the ultimate impact of that, do you think? I think it's a big it's a big risk for mm. Australia if we don't deal with this problem. There'll be a big cohort of the Australian population that just gets left behind by the energy transition. And if that happens, they'll come to resent it. And you know, that carries all sorts of societal and political implications. And I don't think anybody wants us to find ourselves in that situation. The flip side, Sam, is that Australia is actually in a unique leadership position really globally to figure out some of these problems. We have more rooftop solar than any other country by miles and we're at the bleeding edge of this transition in so many ways. So a lot of people are watching Australia and if we can handle these thorny issues, if we can find a way to, to deal with them, it'll provide a template for the rest of the world. Dan Mercer is the ABC's energy reporter based in Western Australia. If you want to know more about why power prices just keep rising, we spoke to Dan about that on the 28th of June. Look for the rude shock in your next power bill in your feed. This episode was produced by Veronica Appap, Flint Duxfield, Lara Corrigan, Anna John and Sam Dunn, who also did the mix. Our supervising producer is David Cody. I'm Sam Hawley. ABC News Daily will be back again tomorrow. Thanks for listening.